Hello friends, welcome to another episode of the TFC Audio Project. In this episode of Shop Talk, Mike and I discuss knee pain. It's something we see so many people struggle with in our clinic and we find it isn't being effectively treated many times by the medical and rehab community. We go over knee anatomy, how the hip and ankle affect your knees, we talk about patellofemoral pain syndrome, the research around that, the things that contribute to it, and we finish off with the things that we look for when someone walks in the door with knee pain and what you can work on to get rid of and prevent knee pain for good. This episode is sponsored by the TFC Footnote Program. It's an online education platform we launched this year to help to build a global network of people who understand the body starting at the feet and hips and can help others resolve their issues. The program was also created to expand our TFC instructor team so that we can scale up our seminars and workshops and give more of them around the globe each year. February selections have already been made, but the next round of applications for the June group will open up again in May. Module 1 is available for download online, and it gives you more information on why we created the program, what's included, the costs, how to apply, and any other relevant information if you're curious. For more information on that, visit thefootcollective.com and click on the Footnote program. This episode is also sponsored by our travel partner, Nanook Protective Hard Cases. We use them, uh, we use their equipment to transport gear for seminars and workshops. We use it to transport electronic equipment for photo shoots and content filming. They make super high quality cases that are made in Canada and they can keep your electronics safe during travel. So you can check out their cases at nanuk.com, N-A-N-U-K.com and see what they offer. That's it for sponsors. Let's dig into this episode. Hope you enjoy. It's the TFC. Audio project. It's a collective effort. Help people understand their bodies, starting at the feet are the gateway for people to see that there's an issue. You know, a foot conversation is always a whole body conversation. Hey folks, Nick and Mike here, back from a bit of a hiatus. Uh, we were away, we, we filmed our seminar, which will be available online soon. Anyone that's taking a seminar in person will get access to that eventually when everything's edited up. Um, today we're back in the podcast studio, aka a bedroom with microphones um, <laughs> uh, and today's topic is going to be knee pain so I think it's it really is something that we see super commonly in clinic so many people are dealing with it um, you know it's almost so common that it's it's almost not a primary issue because there's people are having so many other issues but I think it's in the background where if you see someone for a hip problem or ankle problem or foot problem or low back problem oftentimes they're like yeah my knees bug me too sometimes um, or you get those people that are like yeah my knees grind and click I don't have any pain there yet um but let's really today what we're going to do is we're going to start with going through anatomy uh then we're going to talk about patellofemoral pain syndrome because this is something that's insanely common in all age groups um and and really deserves some attention to just kind of demystify it right like whether it's osteoarthritis acl tears patellofemoral pain we want to demystify some of these things and kind of break down what they actually mean um, but more importantly, what you can do to resolve these issues or um, what you can look at in terms of trying to find out the, the root cause of why these things happen. So um, let's let's start by just talking about the anatomy of the knee because the knee is, it is a, a dumb joint in, in that, you know, I always tell patients that it's a dumb joint in that it doesn't really, it becomes problematic a lot of times, but those problems are almost never the knee problem because it's just like the hinge on a door, right? It does what it's told by the hip and the foot. Um, and it works with whatever restrictions you've got in those two areas. So even talking about the knee, you know, you have, it's, it's like a, a three part. There's, it's the articulation of three bones. You have your patella, which is your kneecap. You have your femur, which is your main leg bone. And then you have your tibia, which is your lower leg bone. 
And so you have those two kind of joint compartments, the anterior compartment, which is where your femur articulates with your patella, and then your tib femoral joint, which houses your ACL and PCL, your menisci, um, and also, uh, you know, that joint articulation where you got those two heads of the femur that articulate with the with the tibia. So, yeah, any input on that? And that, that almost, yeah, so when we get into patellofemoral pain, we'll be talking a lot about the patellofemoral part of things. So yep. that's where the patella, that kneecap, is almost, it's almost floating in this kind of groove formed by the, the rest of the knee joint. So that's probably the simplest way to, to talk about it. Um, and yeah, like you're, you're, here, you're here about tracking issues. So it's like, where is this, this floating kneecap going in this, in this groove that it has? Uh, and again, that's just a way to simplify it. It's not the, you know, there's more technical ways to, to discuss this, but um, but I think that gets the point across, right? Your femur has a groove in it. Your patella has a peak to it. That peak, it's like a lock and key mechanism. The peak has to track inside the groove properly so that both facets, both, um, I guess, angulations of that peak have to interact evenly with your femur. The cartilage, mm-hmm. you know, if it gets pulled to one side and you have double the amount of stress or friction on one side of your patella because it's going out of that groove, um, then it's going to give you problems when compounded over time with load and reps. And one of the main points is that, again, we don't have to be perfect with everything, but joints work best um, when they're in certain positions or when we're when we're controlling them certain ways. It's just mm-hmm. that's the way it is, right? Um, it's all about motor control. Can we control our joints and, and use them in positions that they like to be used in? Right? Use them efficiently, right? Yeah. The, the knee joint is not designed to exert the force of your hip, right? So, you know, we'll talk about that later, but if the knee joint is getting overloaded or it's a poor alignment issue. So it's like those are almost two categories. Overload, you're in good alignment, but you're overusing that joint articulation. So you're doing double the amount of load. You're doubling the wear and tear, even though it's tracking properly. And the other side of the coin, and oftentimes problems are a combination of these two, but the other side of the coin is poor tracking. So you're not, that joint is not articulating um, in, in kind of the alignment that it should be. And then that increases the wear and tear on on one area of it um, and with less wear and tear on the other. And you see that at the tib femoral joint as well with osteoarthritis where where the femur articulates with the tibia, you either get the meniscus getting ground down um, or you start to get that articular cartilage, which is this nice smooth plastic coating on the end of our joints to allow that joint to articulate without breaking down. And it's got its own nutrition system um, to kind of continually re re-architect and resupply that cartilage with nutrients to keep it lubricated. Um, even like, I think the kneecap is this very weird, it's a sesamoid bone. It's a random bone, basically, not random, it's there for a reason, but it's a bone embedded into our quads tendon to give us more leverage on the knee, mm-hmm. right? Like it's, a, it's kind of a cool, evolution designed the human body very, very well. Um, and it's, you know, it's one of those things, where the kneecap's there for a reason. Um, oh, and sure. It's to allow you to exert more force. If you didn't have a kneecap, you wouldn't see people squatting as much weight because you just wouldn't have as much leverage. Yeah. So then it becomes, okay, let's use that leverage tool. Let's use that kneecap in a way that it's supposed to be used. Um, because you see guys squatting like 700 pounds, and if they do it properly, the body can handle it, right? Mm-hmm. Because the bulk of that load is not being sh- shunted to the patella. Um, so, so yeah, let's get into patellofemoral pain syndrome. So, so yeah, patellofemoral pain syndrome, that's... Just a fancy term for generalized knee pain, usually. Yeah. It's the most commonly and frequently diagnosed um, knee condition um, in, in patients under 50 years old. So that's what this study from uh, British Journal of Sports Medicine looked at. Uh, it was a systematic review of uh, of many studies on patellofemoral pain syndrome. 
But as a side, as just a quick side note to that, below 50, it, it's funny because patellofemoral pain syndrome essentially evolves into patellofemoral arthritis. Yes. So I'd be curious to see like the amount of people that have anterior compartment OA, that's still, that's just the natural progression of patellofemoral well, pain syndrome. We like to call it, it's funny because when we image something and then we see uh, pathology, then we like to call it that. So it's like... Yeah. So if it's like the same person at 40 who has generalized knee pain um, and no imaging done, we would call it patellofemoral pain syndrome. At 55, when they get their knee x-rayed and they say, oh, you've got some, you know, moderate uh, joint arthritis in the patellofemoral joint, and then the person would say, oh, I have arthritis. But again, it's like, okay, well, your arthritis is, is not causing your pain, like it necessarily, like yeah. you're, again, it's that it's a one and the same, right? That's the funny thing about it. Imaging is um, so is so. We like to yeah label it, people. and then it's weird because then the person thinks they have arthritis, and that the arthritis is causing their knee pain. But then the whole everyone's missing the whole boat is like, okay, well, why is this there? Yes. What what's the whole like? What's the root cause of this? What can we do to off offset the progression of this? Can we? What can we do to get you out of pain? What factors are associated with this? These are all the things we need to look at as, as opposed to just like, you know, imaging every five years and say, hey, you got more arthritis now. You haven't corrected anything. Come see me in five years because you're going to need a joint replacement. Once yeah. this person goes down that path, then they just, you know, they're like, okay, well, I'm going to need a new knee replacement, knee yeah. shit. So uh, they almost again, throw in the towel. It's, people throw in the towel way too easy. They're like, oh, as soon as they hear that nasty word, osteoarthritis, they have, it's like they get a label pinned on their back and they're like, yep, I need a metal knee soon. And it's, it's not like, their fault. Well, and that's no. what they're told, though. Yeah. Like, it's like... It's, and it's the medical system's fault. The, yeah. Like, the, a lot of doctors will actually... And I don't know if it's because they are unaware of what's going on, I but think I think that's, that's just... Probably in the, in that case, it's just like that's the status quo of how you deal with things. You you image, you see arthritis, you say, okay, is the arthritis bad enough to warrant a, a knee replacement? If not, if not, come see me in five years. We'll image it again. If it's bad enough, then then we'll need replace your knee. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe go see some physios along the way, or or get some massages, see if that helps. Yeah. But then the whole thing is is just kind of a it's up in the air. It's just like well, that's why people are getting so many metal metal knees. It's like number one. Putting a metal joint in your body when you're like 50 or 60 should never happen. We shouldn't need any metal joints. In mm -hmm. fact, the ones you put in there are nowhere near as good as your base machinery, at least not yet. Um, and really, it, it's a beautiful illustration of how shitty we are with dealing with things like osteoarthritis, where we focus on the diagnosis and labeling and maybe some management to manage the isolated joints. You know, here's an injection, uh, anti-inflammatories, whatever you want to call it. We do zero to actually address the root cause. And I think the... You know, doctors don't know this stuff and purposely not tell people. I just think the whole medical community, you know, look at the way we're trained, right? We're trained, doctors are trained to identify and diagnose a problem through passive assessment and imaging. They're taught nothing about the movement dysfunctions or these imbalances that actually create that response. And I think that's, this is what people need to know, right? Mm -hmm. When you go see your doctor with knee pain, um, they might throw out the word osteoarthritis, but it should be like this very subtle thing where it's like, okay, you got arthritis, which really just means your knee joint's irritated. We need to get to the bottom of why it's your, why are you using your knee joint in a way that's breaking it down prematurely? Here are the things that we're going to assess. How do you squat? How do you stand on one leg? How do your hips work? Do your ankles move? Like these are and then other factors too. Like even beyond that, like there's you know uh, global like inflammation and and all of these other things. Like what's your diet like? Um, what's your recovery like? But again, the biggest thing I think that the the elephant in the room is that it's just like 
you know, what are what are the factors causing this to be present at this time? What's yeah. and then can we get can we attack those factors so we can mitigate the progression of all of this stuff? Exactly, and get you out of pain. And yeah, the pain is you know? the the beautiful thing. Like the pain is the easier. Like I've had people. Like the pain can be controlled very easily. I've had yeah. people with just like an insane amount of uh, tissue tone in the quads, for instance. And again, I know this is not fixing the reason why they're get, getting knee pain, but even just a like a short uh, bout of tissue work on their quads, just some manual therapy um, can make them feel a lot better, even for for like days to 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 weeks, even. Yeah, that's and important. just getting them doing some. T- and again, I know that I know that it's just a, like a neurological effect. You're just releasing muscle tone. That's mm-hmm. all you're doing. But if that's the window into like, oh, my pain is like half now because I've just worked on releasing my my quad tension for the time being. As we can start to address these other issues that are yeah. causing it, the pain's not hard to get. The, the, it's not the hard part to get rid of. It's more the the root cause of it, as we know with anything else. And that changes their way of thinking, right? If you if they're when they walk in, their impression is my arthritis is causing my pain. And then you talk to them and you get them, you work on their quad tissues, you get them working on their quad tissues at home and their pain goes in half or goes away completely while they're staying on top of the quad tissue work. You're right. I mean, that's a temporary band-aid solution, but at least it's one that involves them, gets them understanding that because they go from my arthritis caused my pain to, ooh, my tight quads were actually what, caused, what yeah, was a big exactly. element causing my pain because I got rid of some of the quad tension and my pain went down. I still have osteoarthritis. I yeah. haven't changed, you know, you haven't changed that knee joint, that cartilage whatsoever. But if you reduce the load on that joint, number one, you mitigate it get, from getting worse. Number two, you modulate the, the, the friction forces that are causing the pain. Mm-hmm. So no, Exactly. I think that's a key point right there. Your arthritis is not necessarily causing your pain. Yes. It, it's it's an element it's an element in, in, in your pain but it's not it's the correlation there is just we don't have any correlative measures to to say like you have severe arthritis equals severe pain exactly it, it, it's not like that uh and you might have mild arthritis you might have zero arthritis and have extreme patellofemoral knee pain and you might have severe arthritis and have you know zero pain or you might have severe arthritis and go from having severe pain to having hardly any pain based exactly. on working on these things so the, people the, the need to know that yeah so let's get into patellofemoral pain syndrome because you you uh, you wizarded the research once again. And uh, what does the just, research say? Just looking at like just looking deep into more into one systematic review, um, not deep, but I'm just looking at some of the main factors that they found were correlated in um, many of the studies they looked at. Um, so I want to just go through them all. Um, the, there's five here that they that showed up in in most of the studies. Five but, factors contributing to patellofemoral pain. So one thing, again, the first two are kind of, you know, I, I find them kind of silly, but we'll, it'll be good to break them down because they do also make sense when we look at the, the tests a little bit deeper. Uh, so the Q angle. And what a Q angle is, it's supposed to represent the line of force of the quadriceps. So basically, it's this kind of measure we can take from the from upstream at the hip. Um, there's a bone called the ASIS. We measure the line from the ASIS to the midpoint of the quad, uh, so, sorry, the midpoint of the patella downstream, so the okay. kneecap. And then we draw a straight line uh, upstream of the kneecap. So it's like the angle from the hip down to the knee. Okay. So what now, how was that to, measured was what, one thing. So they're actually, they say measuring it can be done in laying down or <laughs> standing or standing. But I would argue like, again, the laying down is just somewhat ridiculous because that's yeah. not where you're actually living your life. Exactly. Um, so the one thing is they said, you know, you can be measured in standing too. Mm. But again, it's such a, so you, you'd get somebody to stand kind of, you know, normally as they as they would stand and then you'd measure that line. But it's funny because 
what, what we'll get into after is like, yes, your hips control the placement of your knee. Yeah. And what you'll see is with with a big cue, if you push your knees inwards and your feet collapse in and everything collapse in, your cue angle has just really increased. Yeah. Um, again, there's other factors like women, it said on average, have four to five degrees greater because they have a wider pelvis. So these, these are going to affect the, affect the cue angle. But again, if you if you collapse your knees in, that you've just really increased your cue angle. If you push your knees out and create some torque and pull up your arches, you decrease you've decreased your cue angle. Yeah. So the cue angle is very dynamic. But again, it's almost like where does somebody where does somebody uh, lie on that? Like if their resting state is just is a massive cue angle, um, or when they do a like a dynamic, you know, when they do a squat, you can see that cue angle come into play too. And yet, so it like. In one in one part of it is it's it's kind of silly because it's it's very dynamic. If you just learn how to create torque from your hip, you're going to change your cue angle right away. Yeah, exactly. But at the other t- at the other at the other side of things is like it does make sense. So if you're if you are collapsing the internal rotation, that's a big factor into why you'd get patellofemoral pain, and that's going to just decrease the, or sorry, it's going to change that quadricep line of force. So therefore, it's going to change that kind of you know both the tracking and that like force going through that patellofemoral joint. So and th- it comes back to that tracking and like positioning yep. there, right? And this is a beautiful thing to to kind of demonstrate research is important doing science is important but the research is not the only science because with this okay for example researchers identify the q angle affects you know this is how we think versus how researchers do their work mm-hmm. the q saying the q angle if you have a big q angle it's gonna throw off your patellar tracking i agree with that and can predispose you to having pain okay so you measure someone's q angle you say okay you got a you got a huge q angle so it's predisposing you to having patellofemoral pain that's kind of where the conversation ends in that respect. We look at it, and instead of calling it a Q angle, we call it valgus collapse. So how how much is your knee diving in because your hip can't stabilize? Okay, here are some simple cues to get your brain turning those muscles on and, and bringing consciousness to your postural kind of positioning. And after like a couple of sessions, that person literally eliminates that, that excessive Q angle that causes that tracking issue. Exactly. So it's like, okay, you just did a whole research study showing that Q angle correlates to this, but we're saying... In one hour, you can teach someone to consciously reduce their cue angle and correct their patella tracking problem. Yeah, and so, so I it's mean, just <laughs> it, there's the disconnect there between just like the correlation causation, but also just like yeah, it's like there these are factors, but it's like well, why are they factors, and what yeah. can be done to affect them? It doesn't put everything together. It just measures things, and that's what yeah. it's used for. Yeah. So it can be used for for that purpose, but again, we can't solely rely on research because it doesn't piece everything together very well it just gives you snippets of information that are studied very vigorously and i'm the first one to to admit that like researchers have a hard-ass job right like the reason that we you know we never want to negate the important the importance or like all these researchers are way are super super smart but trying to isolate variables from a multivariate complex you know object or, or organism like the human it just doesn't, it gives you, like you said, snippets, right? And how useful those snippets are really revolves around how much you know about the body and how, how that's maybe like 2% of the 100%, right? So we don't discount research. It's just, it's only one tiny little speck of information to be put into this giant puzzle. So yeah, it's hard. It's, it's the story that you uh, amalgamate from the research that matters most be, yeah. because, yeah, if you're just making up a random story and there's like, and the research is going against everything you're saying, that's not good. So you need to use the research to, to amalgamate the story, but again, piece it together and use what it's good for in, in showing these things. It's like Greg, <laughs> Greg Rose had a great way of illustrating that. He said, yeah, research shows that, um, armed robbery is higher when people eat ice cream it's like okay 
you just connected two things. But it's also because people eat ice cream in summer and no one's doing armed robbery in winter because it's too damn cold to go outside. <laughs> so yeah. like the background, it's a lot of times it could be this simple thing in the background, you know, that's a bigger um, kind of more important point. But these very simplistic views on things oftentimes is like, okay, well, what do we do with that? Okay, it's, I understand that it's a fact, but one, it doesn't mean one causes the other, and it doesn't really tell me a whole lot of information. Yeah, I get so. exactly. So, like related to Q angle, you know, we're seeing that that angle is a factor. So we, all we're doing is, and again, the purpose is just a link is to show the factors associated with yeah. it. So it's not that necessarily don't uh, measure it in lying though. That's stupid. Yeah, I would say measure it in <laughs> in standing. Um, so the, the the next two showed up in in uh, most of the studies too, and it's less uh, people with patellofemoral pain syndrome um, will have less hip abduction strength okay. uh, demonstrated. That makes so sense. that's your hip strength. It's your your glute, your lateral glute pr- primarily, but the again, muscle that stops the Q angle basically. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of the the hip abduction or inhibited. Exactly, it's one of the main factors that's going to prevent the. Um, the adduction or, or, well, actually, so let's, let's kind of tag those two together. Less, less hip abduction strength and less hip external rotation strength was right after that. Okay. So those are two involved in preventing the, essentially the, the increase in Q angle, because they're going to, they're going to help control that hip joint and place everything and just control everything from above. So they're going to help kind of align you better. And both right? those things say you have poor access to your glutes which externally yeah. rotate and abduct hips hip uh hip rotators glutes just basically hips your hips aren't doing their thing that's yeah. what it's showing but all again it's measuring strength so again we, we have a subset we have we have a measure of strength um again strength is important but it what matters is the strength demonstrated within movement so so it's like okay you can lay on a table and i can see what your strength is like but can you, um, or you can that push you on stand, a machine though. and I can see what your strength, but what's happening when you walk upstairs, what's happening when yeah. you squat at the gym, uh, what's happening when you run, these are, these are all dynamic, uh, you know, manifestations of the, of the strength that you have or don't have. Um, so I would say, you know, maybe motor control is a better, uh, better thing we should, they should be looking at. But again, that's, that makes complete sense. They're yep. saying your hips aren't doing their thing. Uh, and then less knee extension, peak torque. So less knee, um, uh, less quad strength is what they basically are saying hmm. um which again quads are very very important too they'll help just kind of i look at them as like a way to like armor your knee up and if you as long as you're doing your thing with your hips well um you you know getting nice strong quads and, and being able to contr- have good quad control um is a, is a good factor and just kind of like i said building up that knee resilience over time uh the quads are real powerhouse muscles too and i think they often just get um kind of shit on because a lot of people are relying primarily on their quads um, at the expense of their of their hips and their glutes so i think that they get often overloaded sometimes but but how is peak like when i hear the word peak knee torque i think someone is on a open connect chain quad extension machine measuring the peak force production it's like okay Mm -hmm. they have less ability to for peak torque but is it because their brain's not letting them exhibit full strength because there's pain at that joint? Like, I, I don't know. That seems like a... It, yeah, it's it's hard to say. No. You'd have to look into the individual studies that measured that. But again, what a lot of them said was just quad strength, right? Okay. So, it, so it's like, okay, that makes sense. Um, and that came after these, the hip abduction, external rotation. Final one that was noted was the patella, patellar tilt angle was higher in those with uh, patellofemoral pain. So okay. basically, your, your patella is tilted more... Again, because it's being influenced by 
the pull of, of certain kind of forces of muscle that are acting on it. So again, it's affecting the tracking of the, the kneecap. And you'll often see that too. People's kneecaps will be almost tilted to one side, yeah. usually lateral side, because because of, again, the forces working on it. So again, that would make sense if, if the hypothesis is it's it's a more of a tracking issue uh, and it's based on the control. And if we're not getting control for, spread out between um, all these, these areas, we're going to be kind of overloading certain areas and that might cause the tracking. So I that's what the... You know, that's what the uh, the, bridge, says. the systematic review says, and it goes over those factors, which I would agree with, and it makes complete sense. But then we got to look at, okay, what's, a, what's maybe a better way to um, – what are some other factors, first of all, and then what's a better way to look at some of these things? And maybe yeah. we can get into that. Next. And how do people understand what variables they can modify and how to recognize if those variables are even a problem? Mm-hmm. Just one thing about this patellar tilt, I remember um, – do you remember getting taught McConnell taping, like all these patellar taping? Mm-hmm. I find those hilarious looking back now because it's like, okay – your patella is tilted or it's not tracking in the right spot because your hip doesn't know how to tell your knee where to go. And what we are taught in school and what a lot of people go on post-grad to kind of learn more of is how do you use tape? How do you use athletic tape to tape the kneecap in a better mm-hmm. position? Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, if that <laughs> if that gets someone be able to walk with less pain, I understand. But the context that I was seeing it used in, in one of the most like a very highly ranked sport medicine um company in in london where i was was this was being used people were coming to get taped before a game to be able to play the game and none of the rehab was focusing on why do we need to tape your kneecap mm-hmm. right so it's like this very band-aid-ish solution that i like i was laughing people tape knees too it's like oh yeah you're gonna do an mcl tape job really you think scotch tape on top of your skin is going to hold your knee joint in place please um but it's a a good example it's like okay your hip doesn't work your tfl is doing way more work than it should because your glutes don't work tfl ties into your it band if that whole lateral stream gets tensioned up yeah it's going to angle your patella or it's going to pull your patella off track and the solution to that is find out why tfl is getting jacked up by restoring optimal hip mechanics it is not put tape over your kneecap to allow you to do an activity that is just letting you essentially putting a band-aid on something to reduce symptoms a bit to allow you to play your sport cover and cover up those problems mm. it's like it's just it's just one of those things that i think shows how little we understand about movement mechanics in the way that physio is taught or the way that physio is done in general mm-hmm. right because i think it's easy to get caught in our bubble of Oh, yeah, people know this stuff, right? People understand these very, very simple premises of knee problems are almost always a, are always a hip and ankle problem. But I think people don't. No. Like, I don't think this has changed in terms of how it's taught in school. And this is part of this huge problem of, you know, let's get into talking about things you can modify. But this overarching problem of just lack of understanding of base mechanics, right? Even talking yeah. about they measure the cue angle in line passively. I think a lot of assessment is done, is taught in school to be passive assessment which tells you nothing about how someone's using their body during the day and that's the most relevant thing to why they have pain that's it and like that the overarching thing in there is is like it's how you're using it's how are you using your your body yeah. like your it's how you're you're driving your own you know meat vehicle as we like to say it's <laughs> like you know if if it comes down to that, and, and there that a big part of that is just the control that you have over your body, so mm-hmm. just baseline levels of control based on what you're doing. So, 
you know, it, it depends what you're doing. If you're a high-level athlete in, in an obscure sport, you might need to demonstrate different things than somebody who just likes to go for walks, mm-hmm. but also needs to go upstairs and also needs to squat down to get stuff, right? But these are things that we need to do daily. So it's like, how are we doing those things? Is that causing our pain? Are we having to, to change the way we move because of our pain? Is the way we're moving causing our pain or contributing to our pain? Yeah. Um, are the mobility issues that we have in certain key areas causing us to move differently, causing our pain. Um, it, but it comes down to like, if, if you simplified it down, it's like, you know, a, a big part of this is, is when you're talking about like these muscular, common musculoskeletal um, pain pathologies is just uh, how you're moving, how are you controlling yourself? Yeah. So, okay. Let's talk about patellofemoral pain. So someone comes in and really, you know, the age group or, or how old someone is that comes in might change it slightly, but it really doesn't change. It wouldn't change. I don't know about you, but it wouldn't change my assessment that much if it was a 14-year-old or a 40-year-old that came in with telephenol pain syndrome. Because no. we're looking at the same objective things of, okay, what are the easy things to spot and correct to really get this help this person understand this um, and get some of those aha moments where it's like, oh, you should be able to do this, but you can't. That's a big contributor. Mm-hmm. So I think the first thing that comes to mind with telephemoral pain that I look at is single leg balance. Yeah. Super easy to assess. And if someone is unstable just standing on one leg with their eyes open, it's no wonder their knee doesn't know where to go because it's the body doesn't know how to align itself or generate stability in important muscles to make sure that we're using our joints properly. Yeah, that's a simple one. Like I'll, I'll get somebody to stand on one leg and... I'll just look at what their knee does, yeah. right? So exactly. I'll look at what their knee does. I'll look at what their, their foot and ankle do, but but just the whole chain. What's happening just by standing one leg? Because all you did there was double the load on that knee, mm-hmm. right? Okay, I, most, of every day, most of our lives happen on one leg. When you walk, it's a series of single leg phases. When you run, it's all a series of single leg phases coming down from a big landing. And if you play a sport like basketball or football where you're jumping, cutting – Getting someone to go on one leg shows you at a way lower threshold how the body's going to react when it's coming down under heavy load or, or with a load. Um, so it's, it's like stairs yeah. too. Like it's just a lot of stuff is you need some good single leg control to just yeah. just to like people people like to like just to walk up a flight of stairs. You need to you <laughs> yeah. need to have a certain amount of control. Like it just again base uh, level we don't base level control. So so that's something if you if you stand on one leg what happens? Yeah. Um, I think you know another. Another one would be the squat. So just show me like what what happens when you do something like a squat. Can you do? Can you squat down barefoot with your hip, with your feet hip width apart, with no shoes on? Can you squat down and get into a resting squat position? Mm-hmm. Even just like the the either the position we always talk about like the position of it, and then just like the quality of the, and movement. the quality. Of the what movement. Yep. what what does it look like baseline? So or does it hurt? Like if that if their squat directly hurts, then it's like okay, we've we've got something to work with now. Because then we can we can start to attack that, right? And I and I think like the rest of 2019 and especially 2020, when we get into a space where we have um, like just a better studio to film stuff and edit stuff and all that kind of stuff, I think a goal with TFC or, or is to put out content, like put out a squat video, mm-hmm. because on the audio platform we can talk about this, but I really think there's something to be said with a 10 minute video on how we break down and look at the squat. It's not to say that we look at it in the best way or that we're we know everything because we freely admit that we don't but here is how we look at someone's body when they squat and and just explaining what we're looking at because it's really not that complex right we yeah. just get good at spotting faults because we've spotted we've looked at a thousand squats so it's very easy for us to see the really bad ones and the really good ones mm-hmm. right and understand where that medium level is where this is a base level of competency that okay you know that's not the low-hanging fruit because your squat looks pretty good it looks good enough that it's not the chief problem so eventually those videos will come out 
we appreciate your patience. We're working on it. Um, but yeah, the squat and then the lunge too, right? Yeah. Dissociating the hips, getting one hip in extension, one hip in flexion. How does that anterior knee track when they do a lunge? What I see is people's knees, you know, there's nothing wrong with your knee coming beyond your foot. But if that is super, super obvious, it tells me that you're using all quads and no butt um, to do that lunge. And if your knee dives in inside of your foot as well, that's where that patella tracking thing comes from. Yeah. Yeah, so, so the quality of that, and then I, I have a you know, single leg mini squat, but a lunge would accomplish sim- something very similar. But I even really if you like did, the single leg mini squat. Me too, because it's like, Especially it's like a stair. Well, even it's just a stair. True. Like a lot of people need true. to do stairs. Um, so it's like how, you know, if you're, if you're pushing up a stair, what, what's happening? Just, yeah. I just want to see what's happening at your knee. Can you do a um, shallow knee bend with your full body weight on one leg without your knee diving inward or without mm-hmm. being unstable? So if you correlated this back to what the patel femoral study was saying, you would see how these factors like less hip abduction strength, less hip external rotation strength, dynamic Q uh, angle. Dynamic Q angle. These all things are again, these are all measured in isolation, but you're you're seeing them when you measure when you look at somebody's move. Like how how are they using? How how are they controlling themselves? Do they have the strength to exhibit control? over where their knees going when they do stuff that they need to do it on a daily basis. Well, let's talk about software hardware now, because I think that, Mm -hmm. okay, so you say you get someone in um, and you look at all those movements, they stand on one leg, their toes come up off the floor, they're super wobbly, the brain doesn't know what to do to make them stable, they're struggling, right? With just standing on one leg. You look at their squat, um, it's very shallow. If they go any deeper, they can't even get to femurs parallel um, to 90 degrees. Otherwise, they feel like they're going to fall on their ass. So that to me, you know, my first hypothesis there is, okay, this person's ankles aren't letting their body weight, aren't letting them get their body weight over their foot. So if they go any lower, they're going to fall back. They're probably very quad dominant. Their ankles are locked up. And, you know, it can be a multitude of problems not being able to squat, but it, it, it tells you some pretty, you know, you see enough patterns of people not being able to squat and how the squat looks when they get to the threshold. And then you measure, you isolate ankle hardware. There's a big correlation there. Oh yeah. So so if we talk about just the hardware, like I think the the two main components, the the ankle is probably the major one, um, yeah. but the hip too. So just your your general like hip mobility, ball and socket mobility. Um, well, does your ankle dorsiflex and does your hip rotate? Because if your hip rotate, rotate flex, uh, yeah. abduct, all like basically does it move in the socket well? Yeah. Right. Because the uh, hip being able to move like it's supposed to is what allows you to generate, recruit the muscles to generate torque and maintain good alignment in uh, of the knee joint. It also gives you more, the having motion at the ankle and the hip, it gives your knee more freedom, right? It does, mm-hmm. it just, it, give, it takes away the, um, like if you're missing like significant range of motion at those upstream and downstream joints. Again, it's kind of like back to that joint by joint approach by, uh, by Greg Cook. It's like your knee's going to not going to know coil. what to do. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so you're just going to give more degrees of freedom um, to your knee, uh, and, and it's not going to be you know stressed as early yeah. if you have motion there. So, so hardware say, is, does your ankle move? Does your hip move? Yeah. Because the knee joint is not usually one that, lo- you know, your knee joint's like a hinge on a door. It bends one way, bends the other way. Yeah. Whether it bends in the right angle or positioning, you know, whether the hinges were actually screwed in at the right angle, that's all foot, um, foot, ankle, hip. So, or back to those things. So they struggle with balance. They can't squat. They do a lunge. Their knee hurts and the knee caves in. So does their foot. And then you ask them to do shallow single leg squats. Although if a lunge hurts, you're not going to probably get them to do that. You can pretty much know what, what, what you're going to see. But the same thing happens. Their knee caves in, um, their foot collapses and they get pain. 
So that's the case that we're dealing with. So then that's more of the, that's more the, the software too. So it's, it's that combination of hard, we just talked about the hardware, the software is like, how are they controlling themselves in these movements that we looked at? Um, and then generally are they, are they distally dominant or approximately dominant? Meaning are they, in this case, are they more knee dominant or they, do they know how to use their hips? Are they more hip dominant in their mm-hmm. movements? So you would just, again, these are more kind of like clinically you have to see uh, people come, come, you know, you have to see people squat over time mm-hmm. to, to see these patterns over time. But, but we're just looking for generally, do they like, do, do they know how to use their hips um, or is it all knees? Is it, is it right, you know, forward onto the knees and, and forward and in on the knees? So, so I think this is where sometimes it changes uh, where my brain goes if I'm treating someone because a 14 year old kid that gets patellofemoral pain and can't squat, the low hanging fruit there is software a lot of times, right? Like he yeah. just simply hasn't spent enough time in chairs uh, spending time in chairs has changed how that person moves, right? Mm-hmm. And oftentimes that's the leading culprit of why this is all happening, why this kid's coming in with knee pain or, you know, whether it's patellofemoral pain or Osgood-Schlatter's is the same thing. It's just a different presentation, right? Overusing the quads because the hips don't do what they're supposed to. But for that, for that young kid, it's all like I just work with them on software because you can get them go from a painful squat to a non-painful squat in like 10 minutes. It's just mm-hmm. they their brains just haven't been helped to understand how to fire muscles or how to align joints. Mm-hmm. Whereas the 50-year-old that comes in, you know, a lot of times you can help them on the software side a bit to reduce their pain immediately. But they need some serious hardware work because that person usually has just accumulated many more decades sitting in chairs, stiffening up their hips. So Mm -hmm. it's like it's almost like you work on software initially, but then to get through that initial burst of progress, you need to address hardware and layer on new software as you're opening up the hardware. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So. So those would be some things that we'd look at, um, and again, it ties into the to what the studies show uh, of patellofemoral pain syndrome and the factors there. But we're looking at it more dynamically because what really matters is what you're new doing throughout the day. Like that's mm-hmm. again um, going to play a big part into uh, why you're getting knee pain is is how you're you're using it. So mm-hmm. through movement. Um, Maybe we can transition to the role of the. Uh, we've already, you know, touched on it. But the role of the hip and foot um, in controlling that that joint. Maybe just touching on, um, you know, we talked about it being a dumb joint and what we mean about that and, and where the control comes from. Um, and then, yeah, we'll go from there. But yeah, I think I mean, the, the knee joint having pain at your knee is never. If you have pain at your knee and you go see a physio or a health professional and they treat just your knee, they are not going to be effective. Mm-hmm. It's just not. They're just missing out. It's like Ida Rolf, her saying, where you think it is, it ain't. Where the symptoms are is not where you need to fix, right? Because the knee is just this kind of, it's like the middle child. It it just takes the brunt of the punishment for what the hip and the foot slash ankle are doing or not doing. Mm-hmm. And so let's talk about hip first because I really think that part of why people's ankles stop moving is because of the hip or part of why people's feet are not positioning themselves is 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 a trickle-down effect of the hip. Everyone's hips seem to not be doing what they're supposed to. We talked about this in the Hip Dysfunction podcast or, and in even a, kind of a movement-rich lifestyles. We spend too much time in a single static hip position and it costs us the ability to understand how to fight gravity because we lose the hardware mobility at the ball and socket and we lose the patterning that comes from just spending time against gravity, right? Spending time, whether it's walking or standing or whatever it is, when you get rid of gravity, you get rid of that you know, every millisecond you're programming so- effective software to fight the effects of gravity and keep your bones aligned. 
against that force. And mm-hmm. so if you spend a lot of time sitting, number one, your body loses the ability to express range of motion that lets you recruit muscles to fight gravity. But number two, you just, you're not programming the right patterns. Yeah. So I think that's, you know, if the hip can't rotate, can't generate torque, um, if the mobility isn't there, then you don't even have access to those muscles. If the mobility is there, but you don't even know to use those muscles, that's what causes this whole Q angle to increase is when the femur internally rotates it collapse, you know, when we say valgus, we basically mean knees collapsing inward and the foot collapsing. So when that all happens, that immediately throws out the tracking of your patella. It immediately puts you at a risk for injuries like an ACL tear where the, the lateral plane of the knee, the motion there is not being well controlled. So if you come down from, if you can't even do a couple shallow single leg squats without your knee caving in, how do you think that's going to look when you come down from a rebound? It's like, hmm. yeah, it's no wonder people's ACLs are blasting out. They can't even exhibit, they can't even fight one time gravity, let alone three. So, yeah, I mean, like, if you look at a, you know, back to the Q angles, so that internal collapse, Q angle, whatever you want to call it, um, that's just gravity's, it's your body's response to gravity. Um, If it was up to gravity, if you had no muscular control, you you would collapse through uh, every step you you took, right? Um, So it's it's up to you to develop that, um, that ability to control the forces of gravity wanting to take you in. Right. And so a lot of that back to that external rotation and, and abduction force that helps you control yourself. So that's all, you know, for the most part, hip. Hip's going to be the major player in that. Mm-hmm. And then for if we lower look, extremity alignment yeah. is kind of what we're talking about. Then if we look down at the ankle, the ankle is almost that uh, shock absorber. It's going to give you more freedom for that knee to move forward without it, get it reaching its limit. Um, so ankles are like the shocks on the vehicle almost. That's where we look at them. Um, if you've got more travel there, you've just got more shock absorption for the rest of the body. But yeah. it's going to be big. Um, well, You're what not going to be able to demonstrate patterns like... Um, for instance, like a squat or uh, even something, you know, walking or running, if you have really stiff ankles, it's just going to increase that shock going through the body. And you're not going to be able to get into these positions that you might want to be getting into when you reach down to get something, when you're at the gym. Mm -hmm. Um, These people think like a lot of these things show up daily too. Just because you don't go to the gym or something doesn't mean you, you, it wouldn't be worth, um, you know, improving (laughs) your squat a little bit so you can reach down to get uh, your kid off the ground or uh, whatever, right? So these baseline things that might show up every day it's like how how are we able to do those things too or the flight of stairs you need to walk up um how are you able to do that Uh, and you don't have to be perfect but just just a little bit better controlling yourself that's all it is um just so we can get you out of that that range where we start to see symptoms right um that's that's kind of all we ask from a lot of people is just um and once and it, it you know for some people it's different for everybody and we have to attack different variables for everybody, but um, it often doesn't take that long. Once somebody understands some of the big factors, why they're getting knee pain, um, it's, you know, they can take care of it. They can take control of it fairly well. And the different for everybody is really like 15%, I would say 20%, right? Because the, the bulk overarching problems are this Mm -hmm. common pattern problem that everyone has. Your manifestation can be different. What's different is, the, the the way you approach the treatment is yeah. vastly different. It's what's com- the what are the primary variables? Well, that this person needs because to we we're dealing with individuals now whose lifestyle can be vastly different from this the person next to them with the same presentation, mm-hmm. same age, same everything. What it, like it's just but the root premise of they both spend too much time sitting probably holds true most of the time. True, right? but but then it's like how do we how do we attack that? So it starts to get. Everyone's different in how we would approach getting them out of pain. Um, but again, the same factors we, we are trying to attack. Mm-hmm. It's just how we go about it is going to be vastly different yeah. in, in each case. Yeah. So, and, and like you said, 
ankles being a shock absorber, the analogy of travel, suspension travel on a vehicle, whatever whatever impacts your ligaments and muscles cannot absorb, your skeleton needs to absorb. And your knee joint is not designed to absorb constant impacts. If it does, it breaks down because that's not what it's adapted to do. It's not, you know, you take a, a caravan on a rally track, the caravan is not going to do very well because it's not designed to take huge bumps and and kind of loads, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas if you take a rally car with huge suspension, it's probably going to do quite well there. So I think we just need to, you know, if your ankle's locked up, your knees are, your ankles and your knees are the next two joints upstream that start to take the brunt of impacts with things like running, especially jumping, um, all this kind of stuff. So I really think, you know, when we talk about knee joint getting, getting irritated, we look at above and below, oh, your ankle doesn't move whatsoever. So immediately, if your ankle doesn't move, your knees automatically going to be taking more load, mm-hmm. right? If your hip doesn't rotate, your knees automatically getting exposed to rotation in a plane it's not designed to rotate in. And if yeah. it's asked to do that, you immediately start to shear the meniscus. You immediately start to uh, predispose yourself to things like an ACL tear. So I think we just, it's obvious, simple things that people need to just look at the macro view, big picture, right? Stop getting so tunnel visioned and specific in terms of looking at the exact joint. You know, it's like this whole manual therapy thing in physiotherapy where they micro articulate a joint and miss out on the big picture of why that joint's getting jacked up in the first place is so frustrating to see. Mm-hmm. And then it, so then if we, if we went downstream just to the, to the foot, I think that's a good place to, to end off with is the, it's like a two-way street. And we've already talked about the hip-to-foot connection, but the knee is like that, like you say, that middle child there. So, so whatever the hip and the foot are, are doing or not doing, the knee is going to be affected by that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can get a ton of stability from the ground. When, you're, when your foot's doing its thing, you're able to kind of root effectively when you need to be stable. Um, you're able to move through that foot and toe off like during gait um, and things like that. But, but again, you're going to get a ton of stability. If you can just kind of, if you can, you know, feel the ground stabilize through the ground, it's going to take care of downstream below the knee. Um, Whereas the hip is going to be that prime kind of driver of, of that, you know, quote unquote alignment uh, from upstream. Mm -hmm. So I think just getting both hip and, and foot working well, a lot of times will help take care of the knee in general, because we're dealing with the same factors that would be uh, causing that knee to want to track inwards um you know so so just the it's it's a whole chain the the big point we're going to get across is like you don't you can't just look at that one joint you can't you know just look at the knee x-ray the knee see what's going on with the knee you got to look at what's the knee doing when you're doing stuff when you're Mm -hmm. moving around and that and that's and that's what it comes down to because when we like our physical bodies are designed for us to go um to go around through our environment and do the things we need to do Right. Yeah, and we're we've perpetual just gotten, motion machines. Yeah. And we've gotten far away from that. And and it's like, you know, we, we need to get people back on track with like figuring out our bodies, just like we figured them out in the first place when we learn how to move and walk. Like the whole thing is like we want to, as, as a kid, your whole goal for the first two years of your life is to like learn how to walk. I see everyone else in this world walking. I want to learn how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Cause it's like, wow, that's cool. You can go do stuff. And, and then it's like, so it's like we're fighting and everyone learns to, how to, how to walk um, on their own yeah. um, and become very good at it. But then it's along the way, some people start to, to drop off. And, and again, it's just helping people get uh, back on track with how can we control ourselves so we can do the things we want to do over time. Yeah. So, and with, I think like a couple of things, number one, if you run and you like, we'll, we'll pair this back a little bit because I think runners that are running poorly are a huge group that are starting to get crazy knee pain. 
and the knee pain is starting to actually stop them from being able to run, which sucks because running for some people is their form of meditation. It's their favorite form of activity. So, you know, I, I think instead of focusing on taking anti-inflammatories or Tylenol, like, like chiclets before your run, really look to what am I doing? And, and I think that that post I did with a quote from Katie Bowman is everyone thinks, how do I fix this issue? When really they should be thinking, what am I doing to cause this issue? Because I think that mm-hmm. paradigm shift changes how you start to attack problems and you actually look for solutions instead of just temporary fixes. Or one and two. What am I doing to cause it? And then what? Can then I what I, yeah. And, yeah. And you got to fix the problem. But a lot of times fixes involve temporary fixes if you're not actually curious as to what caused the problem. Yeah. So I think um, for runners, number one, if you're running with a heel strike, you're not using your suspension at your ankles. And so your knee becomes the shovel goes over. It sucks at doing that. Low-hanging fruit number one is we have to change how you're running to a four-foot strike so you can actually start to use your ankle machinery, your your giant springs that nature gave you to make an efficient endurance runner, start using them again. And oftentimes that involves not running as much mileage. So that's, you know, that at first that yeah. has to be on the radar, right? At first, yeah, exactly. You got If you're completely changing how you run, you got to slowly build back up to the mileage you're currently doing, but that's the only sustainable way to do things. Number two, if your quads are tight, addressing quad tension is important. But addressing why the quad tension is there in the first place is more important. Mm-hmm. Okay, so foam rolling your quads is great to keep quad tension under control. But if you find you're on the perpetual carousel of my quads get tight, I got to loosen them. My quads get tight, I got to loosen them. And you're not doing anything to affect why the quads are getting overwhelmed, which is usually they're doing the work of your hips because your hips don't know how to work. Either they can't, they've been deep trained or depatterned, or they're imbalanced so they don't have access to the right muscles to actually give you propulsion through hip extension. So look at the hip, make sure you're working on something about the, you know, make sure you're working on your hips if you're foam rolling your quads every day. That's fine to foam roll them every day to control pain, but make sure you're addressing the root cause. Um, Because this anterior overloading, I I find so many people are like, yeah, I foam roll my quads every day. And they actually lose the motivation to do self-maintenance because they do it every day and it doesn't get better. And it's because that's part of the solution, but it's a small part in terms of long-term change. So I think people just need to be aware of that. Um, And then for, you know, even for like meniscus stuff, it's like, okay, your meniscus are are getting irritated or you've had a meniscal surgery or something like that. Instead of just getting a surgery done and sewing up the meniscus, make sure you're addressing why that thing got jacked up in the first place. And, And, you know, intuitively when I look at the body, and you see, okay, that person's knee, that meniscus is getting irritated because the knee joint is rotating. Mm-hmm. And joints not, you know, apart from maybe some micro rotation, it's not supposed to be asked to rotate a huge amount. So you look at that person's hip, they have no rotation at their hip. That's what needs to be fixed. And that's not what's being told to that person most of the time in the rehab they're doing, right? They're not mm-hmm. being told, you need to put yourself in 90-90 every day, right? Mm-hmm. You need to work on rotating your hips. You need to unset your hips by eliminating some of the sitting you're doing and replacing that with a daily hip joint hygiene routine because that's going to save your ankles and your knees. Yeah. Simple things, right? I think joint joint hygiene is a good concept there. And I think that if we, yeah, if we get better at just getting people in that mindset of you need to do certain things, just like it or not, the way society set up these days, you need to do certain things to keep certain joints healthy. Yeah. And, you know, in you know, and then you need to move with a, just a certain baseline level of competency type of thing. And that's mm-hmm. kind of from the, the FMS people, like, how are you moving? Right. But it should be the language of every rehab professional. It should be a, a yeah. big part of what they do is how is this person moving and, and what's their joint hardware like, or what's their joint hygiene like? Right. Well, I think like when the FMS 
becomes the gold standard. And if you don't screen people, people don't come see you because you're not being effective. When that becomes the gold standard, that I think that's a huge, powerful driver. Like I think Greg Cook and the FMS team have something that is like this hidden gem. Still, more people are realizing how effective it is and how important it is just to give you a starting point, right? But if someone comes in and they see five different therapists and none of those people even start on the same baseline level by identifying the movement faults, then we're all, it's no wonder we end up in different places and we're being ineffective, right? Why is previous injury the biggest injury risk factor? It's because we suck at rehab right now in general. And I think it's changing, but I think that's one of the biggest missing elements is like, imagine you went and got glasses made and no one did an eye exam before they made you glasses. How messed up would that be? People wouldn't be able to see. People would be crashing their cars. And it's like, but that's what we're doing. We're not objectively looking at, okay, here's an objective measure that's been proven with normative data. It assess, it gives you a screen. It just assesses where you need to go. It doesn't tell you what, to, what you need to do, but no one's doing it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big problem, right? Doctors, like if you can teach the FMS to a 10-year-old, which I think everyone in physical education in high school should be taught the FMS and passing and, and getting you know, twos on the FMS should actually be your physical education product project. And if you can't do it, you know, number one, you give people the tools to assess their movement. Number two, you make sure that all these kids move properly by making, by basing their mark on how much they worked on this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and when that becomes the gold standard and when you go into a clinic and you don't get screened, you're like, ah, oh, what, uh, something's missing here. Like, I should not be getting movement screened. And they're like, well, we don't use a movement screen. It's like, perfect. I'm never going back there because that's not effective. Um, I think that's going to be a big step in the right mm-hmm. direction. And I think that's not yet there, but I think the awareness for, you know, on the consumer or, or you know, non-health professional side is actually what's going to drive that being done more and more and more. And I think one goal is every TFC store we have, if you come in and you, you, I don't know how it's going to be structured yet, but say if you buy a pair of shoes, you get a free movement screen. I want every person that works in a TFC physical store to be able to do a movement screen in 20 minutes to at least give someone a report card, whether they actually get treated or do stuff at the store or not with a foot nerd is totally up to them. But at least here's a report card. Give this to your doctor, give this to your physio, whatever, um, and uh, and see how that changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think that's super easy to implement. So anyway, hopefully, so if you have knee pain, what can you do? Number one, Check all these things. Check your single leg balance. Check your, can you go into a squat under control? Can you do a shallow single leg squat? Can you do a lunge? If you have pain with any of that stuff, it's a medical problem, go see a health professional. Um, If you feel sketchy when you're doing that stuff, same thing. Go see a health professional. They can at least give you some guidance on what you need to do. And if they don't address the movement dysfunction and they fixate on a joint, find a different health professional. I really think that people going to get physio done or you know, any, any movement or, or, um, kind of rehab treatment should interview their health professional by saying, show me what your squat looks like. Show me what your lunge looks like. If you can't do it, I'm not going to see you. No, it's like practice what you preach. If you're a health professional out there, please work on this on yourself. It's how you get good at working on it with others. Um, and not being able to squat, but trying to teach an optimal squat is like a physician smoking in front of your face as he tells you not to smoke. It just doesn't make sense. It confuses people. And we just have to be honest with ourselves, be a good mover and you can teach good movement. Yeah. So hopefully that, you know, I don't know if that gave you any specific things to work on, but I think it at least gives you a broader picture of why knee pain is there, what causes it. Um, especially things like patellofemoral pain or osteoarthritis. So anyway, uh, hopefully that helped, and uh, we'll catch you next week.